0: Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The True God, One in Three and Three in One
1: and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. it is is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the drum. before the Lord our Maker. For he is a God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and Shall be world without end. Amen.
0: The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship Him. Oh clap your hands, all ye people, Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us, and the nations under our feet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our God, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness." Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is terrible, he is a great king over all the earth. The Old Testament lesson for the seventh Sunday after Trinity is written in the second chapter of Genesis, beginning at the seventh verse. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward, in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had favored. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight, and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was parted, and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows through the whole land of Havilah, and there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and Onyx stone are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, It is the same river that flows through the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidikul, that is, the Tigris. This is the one that flows in front of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the sixth chapter of Romans, beginning at the 19th verse. Brothers, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for as you presented your members as servants to uncleanness and to wickedness upon wickedness, Even so now, present your members as servants to righteousness for sanctification. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit then did you have at that time, in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, and having become servants of God, you have your fruit of sanctification, and the result of eternal life." For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. O clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Mark, the 8th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. In those days, when there was a very great multitude, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have stayed with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their home, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come a long way. His disciples answered him, From where could one satisfy these people with bread here in a deserted place? He answered them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. Having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to serve, and they served the multitude. They had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said to serve these also. They ate and were filled. They took up seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Those who had eaten were about four thousand. Then he sent them away. Here ends the Gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are right in the middle of summer. And this next week, it might actually feel like we're in July. But being in the middle of summer, I'm not sure what that means for your household, but I know what it means for ours after vacations and road trips, special trips to grandma's, parades and fireworks and all of that, it means that in our home, there is absolutely no routine at all whatsoever. Despite mom's best efforts, all routine that we had during the school year has been tossed out the window. It's gone, all except for one routine, which our family somehow keeps throughout the year. Every day around six o'clock in the afternoon, mom calls out that it's dinner time. We grab our plates and we sit down to dinner together. We eat, we talk, we laugh. We constantly tell the kids to sit down and eat because they can't sit down for an hour. But then after supper, we try to stay in the routine of reading a Bible story together. We clean up the table, then we go about our evening. And many of you probably grew up doing the same thing with your families, and you may be doing it with your families now. But there is one other thing at our house with that routine. Above our table, hanging on the wall, is a cutout that we inherited from my wife's late grandfather. The cutout is the scene, it's like a wood cutout. It's a scene of the Lord's Supper, like what you see in that famous painting. But this is a rather unique cutout because it's framed, and then behind the cutout of the Lord's Supper is a mirror. And so when I sit down for supper, if I look at the mirror just right, I'll see the scene of the Lord's Supper with Christ and his disciples, and then in the mirror... I'll see our family eating at the table together, like our family is part of that scene. And so when I look at that cutout, when we sit down to eat, there's one part of the Lord's prayer that I'm reminded of, and it's this, give us this day our daily bread. And if you look at our our cutout, if you look at our collect today, we kind of prayed Along with that fourth petition, we prayed, O oh God, whose never failing providence orders all things. We don't use that term very much anymore, God's providence. But it means that God's providence means his care for all people in this world and in this life. And when we talk about divine providence, within that, we're also talking about God's foreknowledge, that in his infinite wisdom, He can see all that's about to happen and what will happen. And so we see Christ in our gospel show some of that divine foreknowledge. In the gospel it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, here's the divine foreknowledge, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from, a fa- from far away. So in his divine foreknowledge, Jesus foreknew that if he dismissed the crowds in the wilderness, they'd leave famished, they'd faint, and in the desert would probably die. Although to be fair, it doesn't necessarily take divine fo- foreknowledge to foresee that Famished people traveling days in the desert might die. Even the disciples could see this problem. So they ask our Lord, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? There's no comfort in, God's, in Christ's foreknowledge here for the disciples. Their question doesn't reveal any comfort from Christ's foreknowledge. And actually, if you look at the disciples' question, there's a little bit of panic As if they were saying, yes, that's good, Lord, that you can foresee that if the crowds leave, they'll starve and die. But it's as if the the disciples were saying, so what? There's no comfort in you telling us that. Food would bring comfort. Divine foreknowledge on its own isn't comforting. So So Christ knows that I'm helpless and will die. So what does that mean? just means that I'll die. If he knows it, so what? However, what gives us comfort in that that divine foreknowledge are these words that Christ opens it with. I have compassion on them. He sees the crowd in this desolate place. He knows that they will die in their helplessness. And knowing this, our Lord has compassion on all who are in a desolate place. He foresees it, he knows it, and he has compassion from that. And so he asked this question in compassion. How many loaves of bread do you have? They said seven. And later they find fish, and our Lord takes those also. He tells the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he takes the food, gives thanks, breaks it, gives it to the disciples, and they give it to the crowds. And then the crowds, they eat, they're satisfied, and there's so much food that there's seven baskets full that are recovered. Now, before our Lord goes to the the cross, this miracle is perhaps his greatest miracle in all the Gospels, along with the feeding of the 5,000. And it's the greatest of the miracles because of just the magnitude of what's happening here. From seven loaves and a few fish, 4,000 people eat and are satisfied. And then there's an abundance left over. And so you have to understand the scope of this miracle. Look up how many people a restaurant will serve in a given day. And if it's a sit-down place, maybe two to four hundred. If it's a place like McDonald's, maybe about twenty-five hundred people could be served in a day. But how many people leave McDonald's satisfied? Our Lord fed four thousand people not in a day, but in a single meal. And they were all satisfied as if they ate the best bread and best fish that any that anyone in the kitchen could serve. And so we see here our Lord's providence in action. In the desolate place, in desolate places, He tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He sees and He knows what will happen to us if we're left alone in this desolate place. So He has compassion. And He meets our needs by satisfying us with the best of the best. So in the gospel, as we see 4,000 people who have been satisfied as they're dismissed by Christ, we think that's the Lord's providence. That's his caring providence. And it's like when we sit down with our families at the dinner table and we see food on the table that we're about to to enjoy. We think that's God's caring providence. Because On the table there, in the fish and the bread, there's the daily bread that we prayed for. And we we know this because this is how we're catechized. In the small catechism, we ask, what is meant by daily bread? And the answer is, everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body, such as meat, drink, clothing, shoes, house, homestead, pious wife and children, good neighbors, good government, and so on. So right there on the table, as you'll see this evening, there is the sign of God's providence, the answer to our prayer, give us this day our daily bread. There's a danger with understanding God's providence if you think that the final answer to that prayer is the earthly food on your table. If this gospel is, If this petition of the Lord's Prayer were just about earthly food, then look at our collect today and think about what we're praying for. We ask God in the collect, we humbly beseech you, in Latin it's actually much more intense, in Latin we're saying, we kneel before you, God, and we beg of you to put away from us all hurtful or harmful things and to give us those things which be profitable to us. So think about that. If we're praying this, and daily bread means only earthly food, then when we ask God to put away all harmful things and give us all things beneficial, what we're really asking Him is to never let us feel hunger. To always put shoes on our feet, clothes on our backs, to always have a house over our head. To give us money always to pay the bills, to give us a good government at all times so there's never war or violence, to always give us good weather. In short, if daily bread meant just earthly food, just our physical body, then we're asking God in this collect to never, ever let us physically or psychologically suffer. At least in this life. So is this what our Lord's providence means? Is this this the final motivation, the final goal of our Lord's providence, that earthly food? That he shows his compassion by never letting us suffer in this life. To answer that question, just look at the gospel. Look at that opening verse in the gospel. It says, In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat. So for three days the crowd was with Jesus in a desolate place with nothing to eat, little to drink, If they're in the desert, there's no protection from the sun, no comfortable place to sleep. They have nothing that's physically beneficial. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're tired. They're suffering. And they suffer for three days before Christ says or does anything about it. If daily bread means only earthly bread and no suffering in this life, then this crowd has to be asking themselves, Where are you, God? Why are you letting us go hungry? Why are you letting us suffer? Did we make God angry? Are we now outside of God's providence? These are the thoughts and things we think as well when we suffer, aren't they? When money becomes short, if we become sick, if we're hit with a terrible disease or cancer, if violence or war breaks out near us, if we get into an argument with our spouse or our kids don't honor us, then we're asking the same things. We ask God, didn't I pray to you to give me my daily bread? Didn't I ask you to put away from me all harmful things? Why are you ignoring me? Why are you angry at me? If daily bread means only physical satisfaction, then anytime we suffer, we'd have to ask God, why are you angry with me? Where is my daily bread? Now, remember that cutout I told you about at the beginning of the sermon. The one of the Lord's Supper with the mirror behind it. Where, if you look at it right, you can see your family eating in the picture. What that cutout and this gospel and this collect show us is that the end goal of daily bread is not merely earthly bread. At the end of the day, the people in our gospel account, when they're sent home by Christ, they're satisfied, but the next day will come and they will be hungry again. Last night, I hope you had supper and that you were satisfied. But guess what? Come supper time again, you'll be hungry. Likewise, those 4,000 people, they went home, they lived their lives, they suffered as we all do in this world, and eventually they all died, all 4,000 of them. You will too. Because the bread and the fish, even though they miraculously appeared, were still, at the end of the day, just bread and fish. And the food that we ate for supper, even though it came from God, is still just earthly food. It can't keep us alive forever. But look at what God does with this earthly food. Look how he uses it. It's like that cutout of the Lord's Supper. As I look in the mirror and see my family eating our dinner at the family table, I look at that mirror and the image of my family eating this earthly supper is pulled into that image of the Lord's supper at the Lord's table. He uses that image of the Lord's supper and he uses the goods he gave us at our table and he pulls us into something greater. That is what our Lord is doing in all that he gives us by his divine providence. For three days, our Lord, by his providence, let this crowd suffer in a desolate place. But it wasn't to their harm. Just like he lets us suffer in this desolate world. And we suffer from hunger or thirst or loneliness, sickness, persecution, whatever. But then look what our Lord does with that suffering and his compassion. He doesn't just watch us suffer. He doesn't just know that we will suffer. He then has compassion and he joins us in that suffering. Instead, he came to us in the flesh to suffer with us. Then he was baptized beside us sinners. And Joining us in our flesh and joining us in baptism, he takes all of our sin and all of that suffering and goes to the cross to suffer and die in our stead. So that now, baptized in him, Christ uses our suffering in our baptism and he pulls us into his suffering. Without him, it would just be the suffering of sinners who deserve suffering. But in his baptism, he he brings that suffering, our suffering, into himself, into his suffering. And he brings us into something greater. He brings us into the image of him on the cross. Where in him and in his suffering, we die with him. And dying with him, it puts to death all our sins and suffering. When he goes to the grave with our sins and suffering, they stay in the grave forever. Those people in the wilderness, they suffered physically. We suffer physically in this world. And suffering is physically harmful. But it's not necessarily spiritually harmful. Spiritually, Christ joins us in suffering so it may be beneficial to us so that we will rise with him. And when we do, all the evil and suffering being put to death, all things harmful being put away from us are put away from us forever. That is, in our Lord and in his providence, he uses suffering and the things he gives us in this life to pull us into himself and life eternal. He gives us the daily bread at our dining room table in order to point us to the daily bread of eternal life at his table. He gives gives us the story of the miraculous multiplying of bread and fish to point us to the greater bread that is his flesh, which is even a more miraculous multiplying. We see the 4,000 having eaten and being satisfied. And we can relate to it because we've been at the table. We've enjoyed mom's cooking. And we've been satisfied with our families when we eat. But that satisfaction points to a greater spiritual satisfaction. Where you eat with the greater family of God. You eat here with the church Catholic of all times and all places in heaven and on earth. That's who you eat with. It's greater than who you eat with at home. And here you're not eating the flesh of fish and bread, you're eating the flesh of Christ in, with, and under the bread. And included in this is the drinking of his blood for life. But there is one difference. Whereas the miracle of the 4,000 happened once for this group of Gentiles, the miracle at this altar happens whenever we gather. And it will happen for eternity when we join the great feast in the life to come and at that feast you will never be dismissed. And so it's really like that wood cutout that I was telling you about. The Lord uses our suffering. He uses these earthly goods in his providence to pull us into his image, to pull us into his image of him crucified, to pull us into the image of the of the Lord's supper here. He uses what you have at the f- able to pull you to this altar so you understand the greater family and the greater supper here. In our story, the people sat on the ground as they ate. We sit at our tables to eat, but here it's greater. We come to the rail and we kneel on holy ground to eat the body of our Lord and drink his blood of the new covenant. In this supper, Unlike our meals at home, in this supper, all sin, all evil, everything that is spiritually harmful are put away from us. And in this bread and wine, we receive all that is beneficial, forgiveness of sins, life eternal, salvation. We have communion with God and with all the saints, and we never leave here unsatisfied. And in fact, we confess something greater here. We confess the Lord's death until He comes. He pulls us here not only to join Him in the image of Him him on His cross, but also to confess that image here when we partake of this meal. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, our Lord indeed answers this as we sit down with our family at supper time. But may He always use that providence that He gives us there to pull us into the image of his table and his supper, where he in the flesh and blood give the highest manifestation and greatest answer to this prayer, our daily bread of his flesh. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs> but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. O God, whose never-failing providence orders all things both in heaven and on earth, we humbly beseech you to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those things which be profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that in good and honest hearts we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the legislature of this state, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, Remember not the sins of our youth, nor our many transgressions. But out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, And from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work and when our last hour shall come, support us by your power, and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ thy son our lord who liveth and reigneth with thee and the holy ghost ever one god world without end amen let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honour all the day o lord our heavenly father almighty and everlasting god who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm, and we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.